a welcome. If you've been here the last couple of weeks, you'd know we're in part three of a message series where we're, we're just seeking God to challenge us and show us where we can make some changes. Maybe for some of us, small changes, and maybe for some of us, it's going to take big changes um, to manage the resources that he has given us. To be, if you like, the term we, we use or the Bible uses about being good stewards, looking after everything that he has given to us. And um, in this series, we've been looking at some simple but big thoughts, trying to just make it really simple and memorable for you. So the first week, who remembers what we learnt the first week? Less is more. Less is more. Oh, is it? Oh, less is more. Did, did you do this? Oh, thanks, Phil. See, like, to be honest, in case you think that we do anything to do with this, what I'd give Phil is some black and white notes, and he, between him and Will, they make it look like this. So thanks, guys, for, for that. Less is more. So don't put up the next one. What, what did we learn last week? Stress is bad. Stress is bad. And most of us need less stress, right? Most of us need less stress. But we talked about the fact that the borrower is the servant to the lender. Financial stress keeps us in bondage. And so we want to try to get out of debt and not have someone that we owe money to. Um, and today we're going to look at giving is good. And next week we're going to look at tomorrow matters. And we're going to consider about investing for the future. But today, giving is good. Who knows that giving is good? About half of you. Excellent. Well, maybe the other half of you by the end will be convinced that giving is good because Jesus told us that. In Acts 20 verse 30, 35, Luke writes, you should remember the words of Lord Jesus. It is more blessed to give than to receive. It is more blessed to give than to receive. It doesn't mean that it's not a blessing to receive. Who loves gifts? Whose love language particularly, if you know what I'm talking about to do with love language, who feels loved when they receive a gift? Some of you? Phil, your love language is gifts, one of them for sure. But, but receiving is good. It doesn't say giving, sorry, it doesn't say that giving is great and receiving is bad. It says it's more blessed to give than to receive. And so if it's actually a blessing to receive, what it's saying is it's just so much more of a blessing to give, and I hope you've experienced both in your life. I've experienced um, receiving some pretty special, meaningful, really well thought out gifts, and there's something really special about that. But it's more of a blessing to give. You know, when I've found the perfect gift for someone, I just love being able to give it to them. It doesn't happen very often. I'm not very good at gift giving or gift choosing, but when that happens, it's something pretty special. I can't wait to give that gift. When I've given to someone my time or my energy or my money as God's directed me, there's something that just feels amazing about that. When I've spoken to a young person or sponsored them to attend a life-changing experience, there's something special about that. And I know many of you in this, in this building today, you've, you've experienced that blessing of actually giving and encouraging a young person to, to do something bigger than themselves. It's a blessing to receive, but in no hesitation in my mind, I can testify today to these words of Jesus, that it's more of a blessing to give than to receive. Giving is good. Paul in 2 Corinthians 9 verse 11 said, you will be enriched in every way. Why? Why are we enriched? Why do we have lots of things? So that you can be generous on every occasion. Through us, he said, through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. That's pretty amazing, really. People 
can thank God or have the capacity to thank God because we are generous and are a blessing in their lives. People will thank God, not thank us, but will thank God because of our generosity. If we know that giving is good then, if we know that it's more blessed to, to give than receive, if we know that we have the potential to give in a way that it will cause people to look and thank God, why don't we do it more often? What prevents people from giving? I think there's probably a few reasons. And I'm going to give you three this morning. If you're following along at home, you don't have these sheets, but if you're here, you would have one of these sheets that you can fill along. And it's pretty good, right? Because you can tell where the sermon's going and how much longer till it's got to finish. So you can probably set your time to about like 17 minutes and work it out where we're up to here. But I think that I'm, this is not exclusive, but I think there's at least three reasons why people don't give. And I think the first one, one of the reasons why people don't give is because they don't feel like they have enough. They don't feel like they have enough. That makes sense, right? We'd love to do more, but we're kind of just struggling right now. Our heart's in the right place. We feel like we've got a generous heart, but we just don't feel like we have the ability in this season of our life. So number one, I think we don't give sometimes because we don't think we have enough. Number two, let's be real today, I think we've seen this giving message abused. I think we've seen this message about the prosperity doctrine abused. I think some of us have watched way too many late night evangelists. And I don't want to judge anyone in particular this morning, and I'm not going to do that, but I think for sure I have been in numbers of places where I feel like this giving message has been abused. And what's a beautiful message of Jesus who regularly talks in the Gospels about giving just as much as he talks about loving. And so it's important for us to talk about, but some of us have been a bit scarred by this message being abused and being misinterpreted. I think the third reason that we um, often don't give like the way that we want to is because we live with a scarcity mindset instead of an abundant mindset. We live with a scarcity mindset instead of an abundant mindset. Let me, let me explain what I mean. In other words, I think, if I give, then I'm gonna have less because there's not really enough to go around. If I have something, that means, or if you have something, that means that I don't have it. And so rather than thinking with an abundant mindset, which is I'm blessed to be a blessing, and when I give, I also receive other things as well, we, instead of that mindset, we always think, or not we always think, but this is what this mindset thinks, I'll never have enough. I always need more before I can be generous. Have a look at Proverbs 11, 24 to 25. And I love how Eugene Peter Peterson puts it in his paraphrase. He says, the world of the generous gets larger and larger. The world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. The one who blesses others is abundantly blessed. It's more blessed to give than to receive. When you give, you're a blessing, number one. But also, when you give, you are abundantly blessed. So if giving is good, and if I want to get better at it, what do I do? Because I think this is a trap. The scarcity mindset is a trap that we can fall into. So I want to just, from the Bible, show you three things this morning. Phil's already alluded to the first one, but I want to show you three things, three truths that will helpfully help all of us to develop more generous lifestyles. And yes, as Phil said, we're going to be talking about giving, about money, but actually it's a bit broader than just money. It's about a mindset as to how we spend, yes, our money, but also our time, our resources, who we are, 
because we want to be generous giving people in all areas, right? So firstly, as Phil said, this is a foundation. And, we, and I know some of you have heard this teaching every two or three years when it comes to plan giving for a long time. But I think it's important that we remind ourselves of that. It's important that we teach it to our children. You would see I, I shared in the messenger, if you've read the front cover of the messenger when you sat down this morning, as I know many of you do, like this was instilled in me from the time I was about four years old. But for so many people I teach, I talk to these days who have grown up in the church and who have come new, this whole concept is quite foreign. And so I just wanted to remind you about the concept of tithing this morning because I think we learn to be generous, firstly, when we can trust God with our tithe or with his tithe. This is where we start. What is a tithe? Well, as Phil said, in the Old Testament, this was a concept, and the word is masser, M-A-A-S-E-R, except it's in Hebrew. That's the English transliteration of it. But it means one-tenth. A tithe literally means one-tenth. And it wasn't so much just about money. In fact, in the Old Testament, it wasn't about money. It was about fruits. It was about herds. It was about whatever they had. The first tenth. Leviticus 27 verse 30, sorry, says, One-tenth of the produce of the land, whether grain from the fields or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. It must be set apart to him as holy. Do you hear the terminology? The first one-tenth belongs to the Lord. It's not even just about giving to the Lord. It actually belongs to him. In other words, if, I have, if I'm given $100, the first $10 isn't technically mine. It belongs to God, and that's what I return as an act of worship to him. Now, if you weren't like me and you didn't grow up in the church or with parents that taught you about tithing, this can seem a bit of crazy talk. It really can. It can seem a bit strange. In Malachi chapter 3, verse 10, as we saw on the video that taught us so inaccurately about what tithing is, it says, and this part was right, it says, bring the whole tithe, bring all 10%, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, which is a picture of the local church, people where, where they came to worship, to bring their goods to God, that there may be food in my house. God says, this is my strategy for resourcing his house. Bring the whole tithe so that there may be food in my house. Then God says, and this is the only place he says it in the whole of scripture, the only place where he gives us permission to do this. He says, test me in this and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. Test me in this. Now, why is God giving us permission to test him in this area and no other area? Well, I read my commentaries during the week as I did. I did my research, as I always do, and no scholars can really come up with the actual answer, exactly why God said to test. But I reckon, so that you can put this in the bottom of the page, this is what Rebecca reckons, I reckon that God knew this concept could freak us out. That's God's words, freak us out. <laughs> you know, the concept of actually giving the first 10% of what we earn is a bit foreign, I reckon God knew that this wouldn't be an easy thing to do. I think some of us think, well, if I gave 10%, that would mean totally rearranging my finances because I don't actually have 10% left at the end of the week. How in the world am I going to do this? I'm supposed to be getting out of debt, Phil tells us last week, and now you're telling me I need to give 10% of what I earn? I have to really change things around. And I think that's exactly what God's saying. He's thinking, yeah, 
Actually, you need to change all your priorities around in order to, to be able to give to me first and foremost. And this concept of God first doesn't just apply to money or to, to finances. Or to, it's about time and resources, right? God says, honour me with the first day of the week. Most of us, at least you in the room, come to church most weeks on a Sunday. Sometimes you may not even feel like it, but you do it as an honour to God. Actually, my first, my best, I could be in bed, I could be out having brunch, but I'm going to come and I'm going to worship and honour God with my first day of the week before I get into all the other activities during the week of earning money and meeting with other people. I'm going to honour God with my best. Some of us do that first thing in the morning with our devotions as well. The first thing we do when we get up is we pull out our Bible and we read and we put God first in the day. A great habit to get into if you at all can manage it. We see God first in the day. We see God first in the week. And this concept of worshipping God with our first and our best, our first 10%, does take a rearrangement of life. It takes a great leap of faith. It takes trust, as we just sang about. It moves us out of our comfort zone to a point of worship God I depend on you because I can't do this in my own mind. It doesn't make sense. So firstly, we honour God with the tithe, with the first 10% of what he's giving, given us. And when we do that, that automatically helps to raise our spirit of generosity, right? That's what it's designed to do, to depend on God, see how much he's given us. Secondly, we plan our generosity, we plan our generosity. I don't know about you, but I plan how I'm going to spend my money to get stuff. Who, who's a bit of a planner when they spend rather than an impulse buyer? Who plans their purchases really carefully? Yeah. So I plan everything probably overly well to the point where I just take, yeah, Phil's nodding. Like, so I'll think I'm going to go and buy a dress for Christmas, say, and I'll plan and work it out and research and investigate to the point where Christmas Eve, I haven't got a dress, so I've got to find one from you know, my cupboard. It's probably a good thing in some ways. But recently, I purchased a pair of hiking boots. And um, I'm sure Phil would have had me buy some about three months ago. When we first went in a shop, we went into Anaconda. He would have liked me just to have chosen a pair off the shelf, tried them on perfectly. But no, I looked there. I didn't even try any on that first day. Then I looked around at other places here in Wollongong. I wasn't, wasn't really sure. A, they seem like a lot of money, but apparently I'm going to die if I do my trek in a week and a half's time without wearing hiking boots. So I knew they were a little bit essential. So then we went up another time the next week, we went up to Miranda and we had a look up there and I actually tried some on up there and I even did a bit of walking over there, fake like, what are they called? The things where you see how grippy they are and make sure you're not going to fall in the bad conditions. I feel a bit nervous about this trek in case any of you are worried. So about me, you can start praying now. I go in like 10 days. Anyway, so I, I tried them on, but they seemed ridiculously expensive. So guess what I did? No, 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 I've bought them. I went online and then I looked around online and I spent days looking online until finally I found the boots that I'd tried on at a price that was sort of agreeable to me and I purchased them finally. There was all this thought and intentionality going into my purchase and that's not uncommon for me or for many people that I know. We plan our purchases quite intricately, but do we plan to give? Do we plan really well to, we, to give? Do we sit around and strategize? Do we talk to people? Do we seek advice so that we can give? My daughters, I'm going to dob them in for a moment, they have been planning to give for many years. About five years ago, they first said to me, we want to sponsor a child. And I said, oh, that's nice. 
that, that costs more than your pocket money. <laughs> and they were like, oh, can you give us the money to sponsor a child? I'm like, well, we already do our own sponsorship of, in the children's program with the Salvation Army. You know, if you want to sponsor your own child, you're going to have to wait till you get a job. So every year, we want to sponsor a child. We go to a conference every year where they, they promote sponsor, child sponsorship. And every year, the girls were like, please, please, can we sponsor a child? I'm like, when you get a job, you can sponsor a child. Well, anyway, in March this year, they got a job, as in they got a job offer. They had not even had their first shift and somehow they had twisted my arm to let them sponsor a child. Fortunately, they've had enough shifts to cover their child sponsorship. But I tell you what, if they had started getting income, started spending it on the movies and food and clothes and everything like that, there would have been none left out of their pretty, sorry Emily, but pretty measly little pay that they get. But they decided a long time ago, when we get a job, the first thing we want to do is we want to sponsor a child. And so they are sponsoring a child. And that's pretty amazing and a pretty simple, simple strategy. But do we actually plan? Do we think, actually, when I get the next promotion, I'm going to increase the ability to, my ability to give, and so I'm going to plan what I'm going to do. I'm going to sponsor that child. I'm going to, when I get a little bit more time, I'm about to retire next year and I'm going to have a bit more time on my hands. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go and volunteer at my local school kids' breakfast program. I'm going to go and volunteer to be on the front desk here at ministry when that comes. It's a plan. It's a decision. It's intentional. Generous people. Isaiah 32 verse 8. This is a bit of a key verse for Phil and I that we've been looking at over the last few weeks. Isaiah 32 verse 8, generous people plan to do what is generous and they stand firm in their generosity. How do you become generous? You plan to do what is generous and then you stand firm. You follow through on that commitment. You know, the Salvation Army, long, long time ago, implemented this thing they called planned giving. And that's all this is about. I know as a kid, I didn't understand the term plan giving. I didn't know what it was about. But literally, it is about planning your giving. And we pledge. We can make a pledge. And next Sunday, we have the opportunity to do that. And the idea of pledge is standing firm, making a commitment and saying, this is what I'm going to do. This is how I'm going to stand firm with this amount. And if you haven't picked up a card or picked up your envelope from the back, they're up the back. And you can grab one of these. And I invite you this week to, to pray sincerely pray to God and ask him, what do you want me to do? God, show me what I need to do. Help me to make you a priority. And I'm going to stand firm by the pledge, by the commitment that I make. It's not incidental. It's not, you know, just happen be. It's, it's intentional. Giving needs to be intentional. We plan to be generous. So the third thing, we, firstly, we honour God with our tithe. Secondly, we plan to be generous. And in doing that, number three, we commence being generous now. We start being generous now. Not when, not if, but we start now. This is a bit of a supernatural part of it. We're planning to get out of debt. We talked about that last week. So important. But we're not going to wait until we're out of debt to allow God to use us to be a blessing. We're going to be a blessing along the way. In fact, Paul told um, Philemon, Philemon 1 verse 6, I'm praying that you will put into action, that you'll actually do this, not just think about it or wait, that you'll put into action the generosity that comes from your faith. 
as you understand and experience all the good things we have in Christ, as we understand and know that God has given his very best to us, everything we have belongs to him and he's entrusted to us. God doesn't just own the first 10%. He really owns everything we have and he wants to use it to be a blessing. And I want to tell you, I know that some seasons are harder to give than others. I want to tell you about a season where it was hard to give my time. When I was, um, I was a core officer in a place about, I don't know, 15, about 15 years ago, and so I had, maybe 14 years ago, I had three very small children. And um, we were working with the church, and um, this young girl was attending, and she was in year 12, and she was about to drop out of school because she had nowhere to live, and she was going to move very far away um, with family, to, to extended family, in order to um, have somewhere to live. And we welcomed her into our home, and that's not, that's not what I'm getting at this morning, but we welcomed her into our home for, for six months for her to complete her HSC. But God said to and I thought, that's okay, she's almost an adult, she'll be fine, and she was generally most of the time. But God said to me, one of the things this young girl needs in order to be able to get independence and move on is her driver's licence. Now, they were the days you still needed only 50 hours, and that seemed impossible to me. I had three small children, had a husband, had a busy job, and I said to God, I have not got time to teach her, but yes, I've got a church full of people, I'll find someone else. And God said to me, no, I want you to teach her. And I'm like, you've got to be joking. I don't have time. And I want to tell you, for those few months that I taught this young girl, I did say yes, as I generally try to do, for those few months that I taught her to drive, honestly, I felt like I had a supernatural amount of time. I found I didn't run out of time in my week, which is kind of crazy because I don't feel like there's been many seasons that's like that. But God works like that, and I believe he works like that with our money too. When we give God what he asks us to give him, he does bless us supernaturally. He makes ends meet. I'm not saying that we give our money and suddenly we're wealthy and we can buy the best houses, but God honours our obedience and our giving in a supernatural way, a way that can't actually be explained with my time, with my energy, with my money. I want to lead a life that is generous in all areas. Irrational generosity, if you like, where people say, that doesn't make sense. There's not enough hours in the week. There's not enough money that I get in my income to make this happen. I want to test God, if you like, and have him prove himself in my life. Do you reckon we as a church can up the ante in being generous? in blessing others. I think we already are a very, very generous church, not just financially, but in the way that people serve, in the way that people serve in such a variety of areas in our church. Most of you who are sitting here today would say, I serve in this way or I serve in that way. There's not many of you that just come on a Sunday and sit down for an hour and a half and leave again. Most of you serve very actively in formal roles and some of you serve in informal roles. You visit people, you encourage people, you're on the phone every night talking to someone who needs some love and some attention. But do you reckon God might say to us in this season, can we just up the ante a little bit? Do you want to just trust me that little bit more so that can be an even bigger blessing in others' life but also in your life? 
if we truly believe it's more blessed to receive, if we know that less is more, if we know that we don't need more stuff, if we know that we need to work at paying off our debt so it's not a burden and we've got some space to think in our mind and, and to, to see how better we can serve, if we can do that, if we can start now, what is God going to do through us? So it's simple, the response today. I want you to go home. That's what I want you to do in response to God this morning. I want you to go home this afternoon and sometime in the next couple of days, sit before God. Maybe you want to have a look at some of the sheets that you filled out over the last couple of weeks, be reminded about his word. But ultimately, between you and God, I want to sit, you to sit down with a card. Maybe as a, if you're a married couple, maybe together. Maybe you need to sit down with a, a mentor or someone that knows your situation and ask, what do you want me to do financially to be generous? But also, God, what do you want me to do in my life? Is there a neighbour I need to be reaching out to? Is there someone that I notice at the school gate every week that needs some encouragement that I need to give some time and attention to? What is it, God, that you want me to do at this season of my life? And commit to starting now to something. We're going to turn our eyes to the screen and watch a video to con- before I pray to conclude this morning. Two men bring an offering to the Lord, one of the fruit of the ground, the other the firstborn of his flock. God accepts one and rejects the other. Why? Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. The word tells us clearly that the offering Abel brought was the firstborn of his flock. But it doesn't say that Cain brought the first fruits of his crops. It simply says, in the process of time, Cain harvested his crops and over time gathered enough to bring an offering. It was an offering on Cain's terms. God accepted Abel's offering because it was the first of his increase. Cain's offering was rejected because it wasn't the first of his. Giving the first to God requires faith. When a firstborn lamb is born in a flock, it's not possible to know how many more lambs that you might produce. But Abel gave his firstborn lamb in faith, whereas Cain made sure he had enough for himself before giving to God. Many of us treat God the same way as Cain, making sure we have enough money before we see there's anything left for God. Even if we give from what's left over, God can't accept the offering because it's not the first fruit. Other stories emphasize this truth. In the account of the fall of Jericho, the Lord gave strict instructions that the Israelites were not to keep any of the spoils from Jericho. All of it belonged to him, the Lord declared. Jericho belonged to the Lord because it was the first city conquered in the promised land. It was the first fruits. God withheld his blessing from Israel when one man took some of the spoils for himself. The first belongs to God. There was much more at stake than money when Abraham offered his firstborn son Isaac. When God asked for his son, Abraham didn't wait to have ten sons before giving Isaac. He gave the first when he only had one to give. Abraham had only the promise of having more sons. It took faith for Abraham to offer Isaac. Faith that God respected and blessed. 
and God did the same for us. He gave his first in the form of his son, his first and only begotten son, who was given to us while we were still sinners. God gave Jesus in faith that we might one day give our lives to him. The gift of his son came before the blessing of our repentance and salvation. We give our first fruits in much the same way. Before we see the blessing of God, we give it in faith. Giving the first fruits of your income says to God, I recognize you first. I am putting you first in my life, and I trust you to take care of the rest. God, we trust you. And also we ask this morning that you'll increase our trust. God, we want to give you our best, our first and our best in every area of our life. And sometimes we confess that is difficult. Sometimes we confess we've waited until we have more. And sometimes that means we haven't acted. God, help us not to be manipulated or persuaded by human wisdom or even smart preachers or anything like that. Help us to seek you and your word about how you want us to respond to your generosity in our lives. Direct us. Help us to plan to be generous and to stand firm in our generosity. God, we love you. And we are only capable of that love because you first loved us. So God, inspire us today in our giving. Help us to make a commitment that is challenging and God-honouring and one that tests your faithfulness in our life as you invite us to. God, we're so grateful for all that you've given us. We bless you and we ask you to use us to be a blessing. In Jesus' name, amen.